0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: Episode 209 for the love of the game on the Believe Network is brought to you by Bet Online, which is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines. And the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. BetOnline is your sports intel headquarters this season. Have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs. From the NBA playoffs, conference finals are still going on, MLB, NHL playoffs, golf, UFC, boxing, you name it, Bet Online has it. Get into the action today and head to the website or use your mobile device and join. Be sure to use promo code BLEAVE. B L E A V to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, B L E A V, 50% on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. With that said, episode 209. For the love of the game, let's get this work. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. Okay. Hello,
0: motherfucker. Hey, hi. It's we F baby come to take a share and on it, Charlie Stomping on his beat like a motherfucker. Take my back to the bristle. hat to the whistle. I'm so official, all I need is a whistle. F- Name crystal, left f- pistol. She open up I'm out, and then I'm f- out. you ain't met a like me, you probably never will.
1: Riders rolling with me like eleven wheels. Find out where you live in you know what it is welcome back episode 209 for the love of the game with yours truly it's Aaron Tobin has ATH back in the saddle back behind the mic and for the NBA playoffs the conference finals have been a little bit of a dud in a sense where we thought we were going to get long series at least I did and it turns out we're on the brink of two sweeps the Celtics and the Miami Heat tip off tonight as we're recording because we're recording on a Tuesday afternoon, May 23rd, and they tip off game four tonight. We're going to talk about that series first. Miami's already up 3 0, and the Lakers lost in, I don't want to say heartbreaking fashion, but at least they put up a fight last night in game four, 113, 111. We'll get to them in a second. But I want to start with the Easter Conference because that tips off tonight. As I just mentioned, 3-0 Miami. This Miami Heat team is looking to become the second eighth seed in NBA history to make the NBA Finals. The first being the 1999 New York Knicks, a team that I am very fond of. As Ryan Russell has pointed out on his podcast, that year, which was a strikes shortened season, 50-game season, the eighth seed was only... Six games back of the number one seed, which was the Miami Heat that year, ironically. And it was a little bit different. This Miami Heat thing is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. They had a negative point differential during the regular season. They were within three minutes of losing the second playing game to the Chicago Bulls. Knocking them out of the playoffs altogether. And then all of a sudden, some flip switched, and they've become absolute bulldozers. Let's start with Game 2, because I think the series really started to shift in Game 2. Game 1 is weird. Sometimes, you know, the Celtics were coming off of an emotional Game 7 at their home court, where they blew out the 76ers. We talked about that in the last episode. James Harden, Joel Embiid, no-show, disaster. So you could say that Boston may have had a letdown fine, but then game two happens. Game two is going on and the Celtics have a lead in the fourth quarter. And as I mentioned the entire playoffs, Jimmy Butler has been arguably the best player in these playoffs, basically turning into Michael Jordan reincarnated. And it's 625 left in the fourth quarter. Boston is up nine, 96-87. Grant Williams has just hit a three, and now he's talking to Jimmy Butler. He hits the three to give them that nine-point lead. On the ensuing possession, Butler takes Grant Williams off the bounce, gets into the paint, and one. And before the free throw, Grant Williams, yes, Grant Williams, that no-name idiot, gets in the face of Jimmy Butler, talking trash to the guy who... Again, is arguably the best player in the playoffs. Well, Grant Williams, it seems like you poked the bear and it backfired because what ended up happening was is the Miami Heat demolished the Celtics the last six minutes, and they win game two pretty comfortably. Now, I heard a lot of people talking about Grant Williams talk trash to Jimmy Butler. I mean, Grant Williams was one of the few guys who showed up for the Celtics in that game actually had a pretty good game. But I do have this belief that there's a pecking order in basketball. Just like in life, in the NBA, there's a pecking order. And if you're low on the totem pole, there are a very select number of times where you can talk up to somebody way above your status in the pecking order when it comes to trash talk. And after you've just given up an and one jumper, that's not a time you get nose to nose with somebody who's way above your class. Especially a dude who's been an assassin, a straight assassin in these playoffs. This was one of my favorite moments in watching basketball in a long time. Nose to nose, some real animosity, some real talking, just a a lack of respect. I absolutely loved it. And for somebody who despises all things Grant Williams, well, this to me was like music to my ears. It, It was a work of art. And, of course, Jimmy Butler shoved it down the Boston Celtics' throats at the end of that game, and they win game two. So then you go on to game three. The Celtics have already lost the first two games in Boston. Again, might I remind you that ESPN's analytics gave Boston a 97% chance of winning this series before the series started. 97%. You heard that right. 97%. It's a do-or-die game for the Celtics. And what happens? They come out absolutely flat and get blown out by damn near 30 points. The final score was officially 128-102, and it wasn't really that close. We're going to get to the Boston side of this and big picture stuff with Boston, but, you know, Joe Missoula doesn't seem like the right guy. His warts were not really exposed in Game 3, in my opinion. I mean... A lot's been made about the timeouts and lack of calling them. He just seems over his head. But in Game 3, when your stars come out and shoot the way they did from the field, let's talk about Jason Tatum, you know, perennial MVP candidate, 6 for 18, 14 points, a minus 23 in plus minus, And Jalen Brown, 6 for 17, 12 points, also minus 28 in plus minus not a whole lot of coaching that's going to be able to solve that. Miami was up 15 at the half. It was 20, then Boston made a little bit of a run, cut it to 15 and a half. You thought maybe just maybe they'd show a little fight. And they laid down like absolute dogs in the third quarter. I fully expect tonight to be a sweep. I do. I may be wrong about it. You'll find out once you hear this episode. But I, I fully expect tonight to be a sweep. And this Miami Heat thing is incredible. The transformation that Jimmy Butler goes to from regular season to the playoffs. Now, regular season, he's a top 10 guy, top 12 guy. In the, in the playoffs, outside of Giannis, Jokic, and Steph Curry, if you had to pick one player – to win one game, and you're picking from scratch. There's not a single player outside those three guys I named. And you could say that it's arguable. Jimmy Butler's the next guy on that list. Incredible. But it, it's beyond Jimmy Butler. Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, who is getting DNP's coach's decision all year are coming up huge in this series all three guys are undrafted by the way same with caleb martin who's been absolutely incredible in this series caleb martin has been so good that he is dwarfing second team all nba player jalen brown in their head-to-head matchup to the point where jalen brown is eligible for a five-year, almost $300 million contract, would you rather pay Jalen Brown $55 million or Caleb Martin $12 to $15 million? I'll tell you this. Caleb Martin can at least dribble properly. Not sure you could say the same about Jalen Brown. In fact, you cannot say the same about Jalen Brown. The Miami Heat thing is incredible. I said it before, I'll say it again. They're cockroaches, and Eric Spolstra turns chicken shit into chicken salad better than anybody in basketball he's the best coach in basketball and it's shown. and as somebody who hates the miami heat i do i have deep-seated hatred for the miami heat going back to pat riley leaving the knicks for the heat in may of 1995 that's where it all stems and yes all of this success that the heat have had Should have been in New York because Pat Riley should have never been able to go out the door. But again, I've harped on that. Whatever. Fine. I can't help but root for the Miami Heat right now. The story's incredible. I've always been a Jimmy Butler guy. And the fact that they're whipping the ball around the way they are, getting guys open threes, back cuts. I mean, Duncan Robinson is beating people back door for layups. Duncan Robinson, a guy who you would think just stands around the perimeter and shoots threes, is pump-faking, driving, throwing lobs to Bam out of bio. This guy was undrafted and deemed unplayable for the majority of this season. Six points a game this season. Incredible. They basically have two offenses. The ISO Jimmy let Jimmy take us home in the fourth quarter when we need it. In big spots of the game. That works. And the move the ball around, swing, swing, drive, kick, get open threes, that seems to work too. An unbelievable job by Eric Spolster in the Miami Heat, and it all stems from Pat Riley. And as much as I despise the man for what he did to me as a New York Knicks fan, he's basically up there with red auerbach as the best mover and shaker in nba history look at the run he's on look at the run of success that he's on outrageous and i know the term heat culture gets thrown around a lot but how can you argue how can you argue the results They're on the brink of going to the finals, and they've been in the Eastern Conference Finals three of the last four years. Can't argue the results. Cannot argue the results. As for Boston, I mean, is there a team that's a bigger front-running team than Boston? They look great when they're up five to ten points, and they can pour it on in a heartbeat. All of a sudden, the Jalen Brown threes go in, the Jason Tatum threes go in. And yes, I know they came back against the 76ers, especially in game six. Tatum grew a pair, had a monster fourth quarter after having an abysmal start. I get all that. But my goodness, is this team soft. This Celtics team that the analytics people loved. analytics. Darlings, they are soft so soft Jason Tatum is soft Jalen Brown a guy who has a little bit more alpha male in him can't really dribble doesn't pass complete tunnel vision he's soft Marcus Smart the way he plays basketball I find truly offensive with the flopping and always it was great in game Three. Ben Hattabayo had two monster dunks off of lobs that, you know, were giving the Miami Heat a tremendous amount of momentum. And Marcus Smart wants to be the guy to answer, to have the answer, the silencer of the run. First attempt, three, air ball. Would have bet my life on it. Second time, after the second monster Hattabayo dunk, makes a cut, tries to finish a layup, contested, not even close, just wonderful. He He's horrific to watch, then tries to get into it with Kyle Lowry, who I guess they're kind of like spirit animals in a way, but for some reason I like Kyle Lowry a lot more than Marcus Mart. Maybe it's because he's way more self-aware. The duality of man on display right there with yours truly. But yeah, I mean, this Celtics team, it's just soft. They're soft. And I don't think they're very well organized. And that stems from the coaching. Again, the coaching situation was way more obvious in the first two games. Game three, the players should not come out to play. I mean, besides for Grant Williams, who actually showed up in game three, and Robert Williams, no one else did anything. Derek White's been a disaster. Sixth man of the year, Malcolm Brogdon, 0 for 6, zero points. He was a disaster. And unlike the Lakers, where we're going to get to in a second, I, I again, I expect Boston to show absolutely no fight in game four tonight. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. I doubt it, but you'll find out when you hear this episode, which is a great segue to the Denver Lakers series. A sweep for the Denver Nuggets. They won last night, 113, 111, in a game where LeBron James was absolutely sensational. For the first three quarters last night, 15 for 25, 40 points. Actually made a couple of threes, made four threes. He was four for seven. Just tremendous. absolute tremendous. And I know I get on LeBron a lot. He had not played great in this series. He did not shoot the ball well from the outside, outside of last night. But I give him credit because he went down swinging. The Lakers went down swinging. Anthony Davis was largely a no-show for the first three quarters, 4 of 15. Just pretty much a no-show. Like I know the box score will say 21 points, 14 rebounds, but as usual with Anthony Davis' box scores, that stat line was deceiving. Soft, absolutely soft, and got his lunch taken from him, from Nikola Jokic. 30 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists, another triple-double, and that back-breaking three off of one leg at the end of the shot clock was just so ridiculous. I mean, Denver, they rope-a-doped everybody at the end of the regular season. The last five weeks, they basically were on cruise control, stopped playing defense. Jokic basically conceded the MVP in those last five weeks. But they've been awesome. The two man combo of Jokic and Murray has been great. I mean, Jokic in this series, he was tremendous in game one. In game two, I know the triple double was there, but he seemed passive. It was like a B minus game for Jokic. And anytime you're 24, 11, and 13, and that's a B minus, that just goes to show you how great you are. Jokic, for the better part of game three, was not very good. Fourth quarter turned it on. And game four, he was just. Just tremendous. Just tremendous. Jamal Murray in this series had moments where he's the second best guard in the league, it looks like, outside of Steph Curry. I mean, just he was nuts. Absolutely nuts. Paced them in game three with a 30-point first half, just making shots from everywhere. And Aaron Gordon, last night in game four, after struggling offensively, found something. And Denver, coached by Mike Malone, who's in the mix for coach of the year, it seems like every year. They're just a great team, a great team and figuring out ways to play defensively. That mask Jokic's limitations and Jokic actually did a pretty good job on Davis. We're going to get to Anthony Davis in just a second. And Denver deserves to be in the finals. Absolutely deserves to be in the finals. I haven't gotten a ton of predictions, right? But I predicted Denver to be in the finals and at least I got that one. As for the Lakers, I know after the game, LeBron said he may retire. I don't think he's retiring. I know I clown on him a lot, but he still has a tremendous amount in the tank. He can still play at a very high level. As he says, he's better than 90 to 95% of the league, still at 38%. is true. I don't know why he feels the need to say that, but it's definitely true. Anthony Davis needed to be as good... As Nikola Jokic or better for the Lakers to have won this series? And he wasn't. And he's not. He's not. He's not. Jason Timpf from the Volume Sports does a great podcast and does great work on the Lakers and basketball. He talked about Anthony Davis on isolation in the bubble. 1.1 points per possession. This playoffs, 0.63 points per possession. He's just not that guy, man. He's just not that guy. And for the Lakers going forward, unless he becomes closer to the bubble guy, by the way, further proof that the bubble season and finish was a bit fugazi, exhibit A, Anthony Davis, the Lakers are in trouble. They're in trouble. They're rumored to be after Kyrie. I don't think that solves anything for them. Austin Reeves, who is arguably their second best player at times in a lot of these games. The Lakers can offer him four for 50. He may get more than that. They can match, but it's going to hurt them cap wise. Lakers are in trouble. It's an impressive run by them. It really is. The way they turned their season around, Rob Palenka gets a lot of credit, deserves a lot of credit for bringing in guys and actually going against LeBron's wishes and trading for D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, who, yeah, a lot of those guys got played off the floor, but they still were at times very helpful in getting the Lakers to this point. They ran into a better team. And credit to them. They showed heart. They showed fight. They played really well in that game. Yeah, they blew an 18-point lead after the first half. That third quarter for Denver was a master class. But they played hard, so they should be commended. And yeah, I don't think LeBron is retiring at the end of the season. He's going to play next season. But that does segue into our last little tidbit for the monologue before we bring on a recurring guest to talk more about the NBA playoffs and preview the finals. Carmelo Anthony, yesterday announced his retirement, 19 seasons for him, 10 all-stars, six-time All-NBA, two of them were second-team. Again, in an era where you had forwards, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard, it's pretty impressive, pretty impressive. Ninth all-time in scoring, top 75 For the NBA 75th anniversary team, was the scoring champ in 2012-2013, the year that the Knicks won 54 games, a really fun Knicks season. Carmelo Anthony was a problem. He had about as complete an offensive package as you will ever find from a small forward slash power forward position. If you ask all the guys who played against him, they continuously say that of all his contemporaries, Paul Pierce, LeBron, McGrady, all those guys in that era, that Carmelo Anthony was the hardest guy to guard. Was he perfect? No, he was not perfect. He was ambivalent on the defensive end at times. Sometimes he was a bit of a black hole. Sometimes he didn't take conditioning seriously, as he should have. He was not LeBron James, but that guy was pretty fucking awesome. And there's a reason that every time that he was available, teams were knocking down the door to get him. And the Knicks got him, were building something, had something great in 2012, 2013 that season, 54 games I just mentioned, and then they blew it all to hell in that offseason, starting with the trade of Andrea Bargnani. Carmelo Anthony, in the right circumstance, and again, some of this is his own fault in terms of picking his own circumstance, could have had a Dirk Nowitzki-like run to a title where basically if you were flanked by the right role players, the right guys around him, he could have been the scoring forward centerpiece of a title team. Didn't work out that way. And there was a lot of crap That went on with him at the end of his career, which was a little strange. But don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Carmelo Anthony was great. And the Knicks won the Carmelo Anthony trade. I've said it multiple times. I'll say it again. They won the Carmelo Anthony trade. Pretty convincingly, might I add. Guy was a great player, man. I'm going to miss watching him because in his prime, he was really, really a lot of fun. And I, I, I'm still sad about it a little bit, how the Knicks tenure ended. And it, and it should have been better. He deserved better. Anyway, so just wanted to give him a congratulations. With that said, we're going to bring on a recurring guest to talk more NBA stuff, playoffs, finals preview in just a matter of moments. So I have him back on. Greg Silver screaming from the sidelines. Always
0: one of my most
1: dependable guests. What's good, bud?
0: How are we doing? I'm doing well, and I'm happy about last night's result and what is likely to be the NBA Finals. So uh, life is good. I can't complain, and I'm happy to talk hoops as always.
1: What's crazy is the fact that there's going to be a major gap in between when the conference finals end and when the finals begin. I mean, we're on the brink of two sweeps, and the finals don't begin till a week From Thursday, we're recording on a Tuesday afternoon. That's like eight or nine days
0: off. Yeah, and we've never had a double sweep scenario in the conference finals before, and it might happen a little bit later tonight. By the time people are listening to this, I guess they'll know whether it happened or not. Uh, But look, I think the Celtics maybe win a game, maybe tonight, but I don't think they're winning more than one. And frankly, I think this is over Tuesday night.
1: We'll get to them in a second. But let's start with the series that wrapped up last night. The Denver Nuggets sweep the Lakers. They win 113-111. LeBron was sensational for the first three quarters, but clearly ran out of gas. The guy's 38 years old. Makes a whole lot of sense. What's your biggest takeaway from this series? And, you know, if you had any big-picture Laker thoughts going forward, share them.
0: Yeah, I think my big takeaway that is one that probably hasn't been discussed on the national media over and over again is just that a very slept on factor for playoff teams is continuity and playing like a team. And I know that the Sacramento Kings didn't get out of the first round. It took it to seven with the Warriors, but that was showing up very early in the series as a problem for the Warriors. Then you contrast that with the Phoenix Suns, who on paper is a much worse matchup because you have to go against Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Chris Paul if he's healthy and DeAndre Ayton if he tries, and that seems like a handful on paper, but they didn't have any continuity, and Devin Booker had a sensational playoffs. Kevin Durant, not as efficient as normal, but could still put up 30 to 40 points, and The Nuggets are the team that had the best continuity all season long. They didn't do anything drastic at the trade deadline. Jamal Murray only got healthier. Nikola Jokic had a better season than his two MVP seasons. And I mean, sometimes it's just everything's going your way too, like the fadeaway shots. He's been hitting all series with shot clock winding down and that kind of stuff. Like it is such a it's such a mess up to the mind when you watch it, because it looks painful and slow and awkward and unathletic. And he is just so good. Well-deserving for Jokic, very happy for Jamal Murray, Michael Malone, and a lot of guys that uh, really just played as a team.
1: Yeah, I've been beating down the door of the continuity thing for a while. I've been beating this drum for a while. It's, you know, I mentioned it on Instagram in, in the short video series that we do. That's why, you know, it was a really good thing for the league and for basketball as a whole that the Denver Nuggets took care of the Phoenix Suns because we should believe that continuity matters and building a team matters and getting reps together matters and getting scars together, playoff scars matters. This is this is good for the league and the sport as a whole. Um, Jokic and Murray, I mean – Jokic the superlatives are, are are there I mean it's just it, it's just outrageous and even in games you know for the better part of game two and the better part of game three I didn't even think he played great like he really didn't and you know in a, in game two where he, he's not great like a B minus game for him is 24 11 and 13 like it's nuts right and in game three he was not great for the most part of of that game either until the fourth quarter and then last night he was sensational it's just, the guy's tremendous. But to me, it, this is more about like Jamal Murray. Because there were points in this series where Jamal Murray looked like the the second best guard in the league behind Steph Curry. In terms of just the way he could create space for the rest of his teammates. And again, a lot of that has to do with, with the gravity that Jokic commands. But the shot making, you know, the array of shots was was sensational I mean uh, he was he was out of control good
0: yeah and I love what you're saying about Jamal Murray too because when the final four teams were the same as the bubble final four teams there was the whole narrative of oh the bubble wasn't a fluke everybody well you know what was a big part of the bubble was Jamal Murray and I don't think that was a fluke either well either.
1: he seems to be the exception of the rule because Anthony Davis since the bubble and before then well mostly after hasn't been able to make an outside shot so i'm not so sure it was a fluke but anyway jamal murray let him be the exception of the rule but go ahead continue sorry i had to just throw another jab at anthony davis on the way out
0: (laughs) no I i was just gonna say with murray that he was averaging career highs in a lot of categories before he tore his acl in 2021 so he was still improving upon what was a great season And he didn't get to do the playoffs in the last two years. And the playoffs is what separates the boys from the men a lot of times. So this is Murray's first postseason since he was just electric in the bubble. And I'm happy for him. I'm glad to see the way he plays. And he's just a true competitor. And also give him some credit for the way he defended on the last play. Not a defensive guy. LeBron was torching him all game which, I mean, LeBron was just a monster last night through three quarters, like you said. But uh, Murray to get his hands on the ball so that Aaron Gordon can block the awkward shot. Team effort, good stand, and uh, I think they're going to be a really, really tough force in the finals.
1: For Jamal Murray to take that next step in terms of his standing in the league, like he's just obviously he's going to have to be healthy, and it's it's basically a two-year recovery and injury uh, when you tear your your ACL. That's what they they say. That's what we've seen for the most part. But for him to take that next step in terms of his place in the league, you got to do it more consistently for a couple of seasons. And it'll be interesting to see going forward if this is the catapult to that. Right? As you were saying before, like before he got hurt, there was – you know, he was averaging career highs. Let's see if he can – take the next step, stay healthy, and catapult himself to that, But because he's been absolutely sensational, absolutely sensational. Yeah, he didn't have a great fourth quarter last night, but, you know, he's paced them a lot of the times when Jokic was a little passive, maybe, and and couldn't find his shot. You know, Murray's been great, absolutely great.
0: Yeah, and also Jokic had a little bit of foul trouble issues a couple times during the series, too, and uh, obviously they're not the same team. I mean, I love Jamal Murray, but if you take Jokic off the team, oh, Murray's of course. Probably so not he, I gonna... mean, he's the head of the snake. I mean, yeah. come on, of course. Yeah, so, but... so Murray won't have the same kind of impact that Jokic has had, but to have a guy out there that's dependable and can keep you afloat during the non Jokic minutes, that's really all you can ask for. And he's done just that and a little bit more.
1: Really good stuff, and and good stuff from Aaron Gordon. They finally got him going offensively. KCP has been an important piece, and this Denver thing—it's it's a very well constructed team around a guy who's, you know, a top three NBA player under any metric, and arguably the best offensive player in basketball. And I'm um, just as I mentioned the last time we spoke. I'm just so happy for the guy because of all the crap that was surrounding him and the stat padding and the MVP talk. And now he's just shoving it in everybody's face, and he's completely humble about it. He's completely authentic. I love the guy. I absolutely love the guy, and I'm so happy that he's going to get his time to shine in the finals, which for guys that great, you want them to get to that step, right? Making the finals is a step in greatness. Sometimes you get there, and you don't always win. But getting there is a is a step in greatness that all the real, real greats have achieved. So I'm happy to see that from Jokic. And plus, the Laker fans, the arrogance of them before this series, thinking that they legitimately had a chance. And I heard from more Laker fans, quote-unquote, LeBron can get whatever he wants, which, yeah, last night for the first three quarters was the case, but it really wasn't the case most of the series because, again, he's 38 years old and outside of last night didn't shoot the ball well from the outside, but whatever, can get whatever he wants, quote-unquote. And Anthony Davis, who I've been told by so many, that is the, you know, a mix of Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett, I've just had it with the Laker fans. and. Their tears taste delicious.
0: Oh, it's the best thing ever. And look, I know anyone would come back at me and be like, oh, we beat your team. And it's like, okay, congratulations. You outlasted us by zero wins and four more games. So uh, good for you, I guess. But this is what bothers me about Laker fans. And I don't remember if I said this on the podcast last time, but no fan base in the NBA complains and whines more after winning a game than the Laker fans, and that is what just drives me insane. So I'm I don't glad know, I didn't Celtics to... fans do. Yeah, it's close. They're a close second. I think Lakers Nick's, are still number one. Nick's fans do. Again, I still wouldn't put them. And again, I'm on the West Coast, so maybe that's just my personal experience. But uh, and don't get me wrong, Warrior fans have become pretty intolerable as well. At least a lot of the more recent ones, and not the ones that have stuck around for a while. So. It's not just like it's Laker fans separated from everybody else, but they're still in a different tier in terms of that regard. So when they're going to whine about it and come up with 25 excuses, I actually saw my favorite tweet I saw this week was uh, from one of my coworkers. And it was saying Laker podcasts are complaining about Jokic having fresh legs due to foul trouble as if that's an advantage.
1: They're insufferable. When you mix Laker fans with LeBron James stands, who are all about LeBron James's legacy, and which is so funny because most of them hated LeBron before he got there because they're Kobe guys and there was always that little riff in terms of who was better. It's just, it's the worst combination of sports fan alive. And any time that they're sad is a time that makes me very happy.
0: Yeah, I think there's uh, not much more to say than that. It's kind—it's of, kind of a nice way to sum it up.
1: Last thing on this series, we don't think LeBron's retiring, right? No,
0: no. Hey, no. Come on. And by the way, as much as I just chat on the Lakers and their fans, I gotta give it up for LeBron. And I know we talked about this in the pregame. Like the Lakers did show up, they competed, and they played hard. Yeah. So when the Warriors lost to the Lakers, I wasn't upset about losing to LeBron. I was upset about losing to that fan base. So I got nothing bad to say about the great players that compete until the wheels fall off and always put up a fight. So uh, for LeBron to have that performance, he did. Yes, he was tired, but he clearly came to play when it mattered most. And uh, really nothing negative to say about a lot of these players. It's more just funny to see a team that has taken so much pride in winning a California state championship. I wonder if they're going to hang a banner in October for it
1: i wouldn't put it past them anything to put up number 18 for the lakers yeah i lebron is still great but the laker fans expecting him to be the driving force on a team that's going to win a title at 38 years old is just not realistic and as i said they you know the laker fans claim lebron could get whatever he wants in this series Like, he can. The reason why he was settling for jumpers is because he doesn't have the legs to get to the basket like he once did. Because he's 38 years old, which is normal. I'm just so happy that, you know, we're phasing off of this LeBron era. And the Laker fans are going to find out very quickly that when your team is led by Anthony Davis, you are going nowhere fast. And it's just going to be so great to have them irrelevant again and then spin their wheels to try and stay relevant and murder their franchise even more. It's going to be wonderful. But anyway, bon voyage to the Lakers. Congratulations to the Nuggets. We're going to preview the finals in a second, but obviously we have to talk about the Celtics Heat. Game four tips off tonight. What's your big takeaway from this series?
0: My big takeaway is that analytics and there's analytics. and the heat having a three percent chance according to espn to win the series i think was the funniest thing ever i was mocking it uh from the get-go and i just don't understand it and i made a video about this because you have to ask yourself all of the important playoff questions which is which coach has been through the ringer and is more experienced the heats coach which superstar has stepped up in the most important moments Jimmy Butler, uh, which team has been more dominant defensively in the playoffs? It's the Heat. I know they were inconsistent all regular season. They couldn't buy an offensive bucket at times. They have turned some kind of switch and have become just a freaking monstrous force. And yes, I know the Celtics are blowout material. Like, I know they can beat you by 30. Okay, we saw it against the Sixers. We saw what they did to the Hawks sometimes. But then they also lost two games to the Hawks, and then they were on the brink of losing to the Sixers, and they are so inconsistent and and they're front runners. They're front, and they're front runners. runners. And I, I want to say this about the Celtics, which is not meant to be an insult to any player. It's just it's kind of talking about the unit as a whole, which is that they are soft. I'm not trying to diss Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or Robert Williams or Al Horford. I know it's really hard to compete at a high level and we're just two guys who can sit behind the screen with a microphone and talk about it like we're on the same level. We're not. It's really, really hard to do what they are doing. But the unit as a whole is really soft and the Heat yeah. really encapsulate this I don't give a shit mentality. And you got guys like my Gaucho, Gabe Vincent. You got Max Struess. Duncan Robinson is playing again. And for what – like, I mean, yes, they're well-coached and everything, but they just got guys believing, and they really do not care about any of the noise, and they've shown up with the tough guy mentality, and it's paying off. Yeah, I'm
1: going to start with the Heat because I want to give them their due first because it's a lot – it's very easy to crap on the Celtics right now. Very easy, and I enjoy doing it, but, you know, guys who've gone undrafted, like – There's a toughness because they had to survive in the league. And sheer survival of the fittest, you can't replicate that. And they have it. And they have it. And Spolstra turns chicken shit to chicken salad better than anybody else. Um, Jimmy Butler, their star. It's the 30th pick in the draft, right? He He was the 15th man on the roster for the Bulls his rookie year. Like, they by nature, are a team of scrappers and fighters and all this stuff. And it embodies this heat culture, which, again, gets spoken about a lot, but you can't even clown on it anymore. And it all stems from Pat Riley, who has been preaching toughness and all this stuff since – He got to the New York Knicks in 1991, and yes, it should have all happened in New York because he never should have left or been allowed to leave, but whatever, it's fine. I'm not going to be so sad about it still all these years later, but it's just there's an attitude there. There's an attitude, and the Celtics do not have that, and it's very clear that – And again, I was a seller on the Celtics even last year. I know they went to the finals, but it was very clear to me that their coach last year was the toughest guy in the room. He instilled in them a toughness that they don't have right now. And game three, I maintain, was not on Joe Missoula. When Tatum and Brown go combined 12 for 35, and one was a minus 20 in the plus minus, one was a minus 28. Malcolm Brogdon went 0-for-6 went scoreless. Like, if guys are just not going to make shots, there's not a whole heck of a lot the coach can do. But they just seem disjointed, you know, unorganized, and it's a team that's soft and has a glass jaw. And you saw it coming out of the tunnel when they were only down 15, right? You looked like it could have been way worse in game three at the half and they come out in that third quarter and get absolutely bum rushed and then their you know their solution to the problem was just jack up threes that's not particularly hard as i should say you know just just fling them up hope they go in like that's as soft as it gets and yeah a lot of that is the Miami Heat you know being grinders I just, it's just so incredibly disappointing on the, on the Celtics side. But what I find fascinating about the Heat is they basically have two offenses, right? They have the whip the ball around offense, drive and kick. Kyle Lowry's doing Kyle Lowry things. Gabe Vincent's doing Gabe Vincent things. Max Strus off of screens. Duncan Robinson off, Duncan Robinson off of screens. Jimmy Butler orchestrating. And then they have the, the ISO Jimmy, let Jimmy do whatever. And... Both have been incredibly successful in this series.
0: Yeah, the Jimmy Butler ISO offense, it's fun to watch because in the regular season, it never seems like that would be a solution. But then when it actually counts for something, the dude just has something about him that seems to work out every time, even when they didn't go to the finals last year. like People were like, oh, I don't like Jimmy Butler taking that pull-up three in transition. Yeah, sure, maybe not the best high-percentage shot if you're down two, But can you really be angry about it with the way Jimmy Butler just has the kill factor? Like, probably not. And I think it pays off nicely. Uh, Actually, one thing I want to say nice about the Celtics is I'll give Grant Williams a little bit of respect, too. Because he's really easy to pick on. But One of my
1: favorite targets, by the way.
0: Yeah, he's an easy player to pick on. But in that game, too, when the storyline became, oh, Grant Williams poked the bear. Well, he was the only Celtic to make a field goal in the last like eight and a half minutes. And in the press conference, he owned up to it pretty well. He, he didn't do the Dylan Brooks of just speaking nonsense and then running away when he had to suffer the consequences. He said, yeah, you know, like we're taught to compete and I've always had the mentality and still like, yeah, he got the best of me. And so if you get your ass kicked, you got to go out and respond. And yeah, the Celtics got punked in game three, but I at least respect Grant Williams for owning up to his competitiveness and getting in the fire of competition. And I do think he's a good player. He is just one that's easy to pick on and be a scapegoat when your two other stars aren't showing up.
1: Well, he's just the most extra. He's the most extra. And you have to have a certain standing in the league to be a certain level of extra, right? And I respect him that he actually came to play in game three. He and Robert Williams were the only two guys who really came to play in game three for the Celtics, but there are levels to this, right? And, you know, I talked about in the monologue, but the game two, the moment where they're up nine, he hits the three to put them up nine. And then he fouls Butler after talking trash to him, you know, the next play down the court, the very next play, that's that ensuing possession. Butler drives it, gets that pull up in the lane and one on grant williams and that's when grant williams is going to get in his face and do a little yapping like you just gave up and had one like there are levels to this you and you can't if you are at a low ring of the nba totem pole, you can't jump up in weight class to talk trash to somebody except for very specific cases and i don't think after you just gave an and one I don't think that's one of the cases. I just don't. But I give him credit for at least, you know, being competitive and showing up in game three when no one else would.
0: And he actually spoke to the media and didn't run off four different times after poking the bear and, you know, putting on this fake tough guy act. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a plus, you know. I mean, I know when the bar is set at Dylan Brooks, it's like embarrassingly low, but C- congrats to Grant Williams for being a little bit above that bar. He's he's like in the respectable range.
1: What do you do with the Celtics going forward with uh, Jalen Brown? Obviously, he's extension eligible, made all-NBA second team, can get a monster max, has not had a good series to say the least. What do you do there if you're the Celtics?
0: I don't know because Jalen Brown was still the best player on the Celtics in the finals last year i mean him and robert williams probably were the two guys that had the biggest impact on the floor so jalen brown does it's weird he like and celtics fans will say that for everything he does well ball handling is pretty terrible and i feel like that's a fair thing to say like he he's got a great skill set and he's incredibly athletic but the ball handling is tough I don't know how to solve this him and Tatum situation because I, if I'm a Celtics fan, I do want Jalen Brown on my team, but Jason Tatum's kind of your guy that you've committed to, at least for the time being. And so like, do you trade one of them? I mean, you got to get some value somewhere. I think Tatum, uh, you know, they treat him like a one, but doesn't always play like a one except when he explodes and Jalen Brown's got a little bit more of that. I'm going to take over mentality, but he's not the primary guy with the ball. So it's just all disjointed there. Uh, last year it worked because they were so great defensively and led by toughness with their previous coach. And it's hard to just kind of point out Joe Mazzulla's flaws because he is a 35-year-old who took over this job last minute, seems like a good guy, loyal to his players, and don't really have a ton negative to say he's just overmatched. About him in terms of what he's had to do to step in. But he's overmatched. Yeah, he's overmatched. So, I mean,
1: he, he got that job late, and it wasn't like there. the Celtics had time to even try and find the other candidates the way the uh, the timeline worked out with Yudoka being sent out. It's just um, – yeah, it's, it, it's just tough for him. I, I feel bad for the guy, but he's clearly overmatched.
0: Yeah, and so to answer your question as for what to do with Brown and Tatum, uh, I think you got to decide how well they're getting along with their head coach and kind of go from there because I might have more opinions on that in about six hours, but uh, we'll see.
1: Yeah, I I actually do think that the way they show up tonight is going to have an effect on not just Joe Missoula's job, Um Actually, no, I shouldn't say that because I think they're going to can him anyway because you can't have this roster with these decisions looming, potential uh, max contracts, and if you're unsure about the coach, like, that's the one thing you can say is that, like, we can make a change there and try and bring in somebody else. But in terms of the fit between the two, like, I just think they're too superfluous. They're too superfluous, and if I could – sign and trade Jalen Brown for for more depth, I would do it. I just think he's a little bit more limited as a player. And I'm not the biggest Jason Tatum guy, but I just think Brown is a little bit more limited as a player.
0: I would agree. I I just think the only difference is Brown seems to consistently show up more in the postseason. And I know that this series in particular is not a good illustration of that, but frankly, neither one of them have really showed up. Yeah. All right, so we
1: both expect the Heat to take care of business tonight. Yeah. Which leads us to a Denver-Miami Finals matchup, a matchup I predicted on the last episode. One of the predictions I got right. I haven't been perfect this postseason, but I'll I'll take a feather in the cap where I can get it. What excites you most about this series, this potential series, because it's not official yet?
0: I think – It's just so fascinating to me how you've watched the seeding in the playoffs continuously expand outward. You started with two of each seed. Then in the second round, you have everything one through eight. Then in the conference finals, you have a one, a two, a seven, and an eight. And we're about to have a one and an eight. So it's like the two polar opposites were on paper. You're thinking this should be so easy for the team that's left standing as the favorite. But these are the two teams where yes i know playoff teams they always get a little bit of lucky and people like to say like oh well if this and this and last year it was for the warriors of oh, john morant didn't get injured or if the Suns didn't lose and no one can say this is the incorrect matchup these are by far the two best teams who have handled the their business who have yeah. handled their business yeah there's like there's can't really point to many flaws They didn't play with their food, and that's why I think the Heat are going to win tonight because they're not playing with their food. Uh, So, yeah, I just think that on paper, the Nuggets seem like they are a little bit more complete roster-wise, and you look up and down and you think, okay, you probably have the best player. Jokic has been nearly unstoppable all postseason, but I don't really think it's necessarily fair to just be like, oh, well, the Nuggets are finally going to just run through the Heat. Why should we expect the Heat to lay down when they've just overachieved and been gritty the entire playoffs? It's just about finding a way to win, and they don't necessarily care. So, yeah, I'll admit, if I have to make my pick right now, I probably would lean a little bit toward the Nuggets. But I think just watching one game of the series, I could very quickly change my opinion. Win or lose, by the way. Like, after the Heat beat the Knicks in game one, that's when I decided they're winning the East for sure
1: why not the heat why not i i've been saying it for a while why not like at a certain point nothing they do should surprise you nothing they do should surprise you and I, i'm with you i would lean denver but nice miami winning would not surprise me one bit I, I i am curious when the finals matchup is solidified i am curious to see how Miami schemes to defend Jokic because Bam's not nearly as big as him and Bam's a hub for their offense in the fight. You know, he he does a lot of handling the ball and orchestrating things. Are they going to go a lot of zone? Like, I'm just curious to see what it looks like. And uh, is Miami going to have to dust off like a backup big to just be a big body and, and, you know, even just give some fouls. I'm curious to see how that's going to work, but the stylistic contrast couldn't be bigger.
0: And I think the series is going to be fascinating. And I
1: think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
0: And I want to add one important note too, which is again, not taking anything away from the Miami heat, but this will be the biggest coaching chess uh, chess match, in a heat series throughout the playoffs. Like yeah, Mike Malone is awesome as a coach. In fact, these are two of the four coaches that have even been in the same role since 2019. And the other two are Steve Kerr, who's led a dynasty and Greg Popovich, who is like one of the all time greats. And literally everyone else has not been able to hold their job since the 2019 season. So Mike Malone is great. And one thing that I was laughing about in the Western Conference Finals was after game one when the Lakers almost completed that comeback and lost the game, the whole narrative was that, oh, the Lakers lost, but they figured something out. They're going to be okay. And I'm sitting there like, you guys realize that Mike Malone can make adjustments too. No, 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 no. Laker
1: fans, they don't believe that any other coach can make adjustments. This This is one of my – Biggest things because I have a couple of Laker fans in my life that are completely irrational. Um, and I love watching them suffer right now, but they legitimately believe that, like, the Lakers quote unquote found something. I'm just like, what are you guys, are you guys watching? But anyway, go ahead. Sorry,
0: no, that's really all I was going to say is just that uh, Spolstra is incredible. I have, I like everything that's been said about him is well deserved. It is true. I think this will be the biggest chess match we are seeing, and so. I think we could very well go to seven games because of how awesome these teams have been coached throughout the playoffs. And I don't think it's anytime there's momentum going one way, I don't expect it to just be sustained through a full series. If this series really goes four or five games for one of the teams, then shit, congratulations to them. Like yeah. unbelievable. But um, no, I'm expecting just a full on battle through and through physically, mentally, emotionally, and uh, these are two of the top-notch coaches in the NBA and that we've seen in a while.
1: And I'd obviously would rather Denver win just because, again, the Miami Heat with the New York Knicks, uh, there's some hatred there. But I have such respect and love for Jimmy Butler as a player that I'd be happy for him if he won. I'd be super happy for Jokic if he won. It's It's kind of like a win-win, especially because the Lakers are out and the Celtics are out. And I know the NBA may be crying that it's not the glamour matchup, but this is honestly what we deserve.
0: Well, can I also just say this to people who are like, "Oh, I wouldn't watch Nuggets heat." Why? Like, do you want you don't want to see basketball Jokic, fans. Jokic and Jimmy Butler, like, do you not like basketball? Yeah, yeah it, it it's it's weird to me. It's weird to me.
1: So, your prediction is Nuggets in how many games?
0: I'm just going to go 7 because I think it could really just go the full distance into the max in terms of uh, like ESPN analytics. I'm never going to listen to a damn thing they say, but I do really think that the the spread of likelihood on this series is pretty close to even. And I do think it can go either way. So that's why I like the seven games. I would lean Denver being at home in a game seven in the finals in front of the fans who just desperately deserve it. That said, I could be changing my mind after one game in the series. Like I just don't know.
1: I'm with you, Denver and seven, because I, because each team has been undefeated to this point in their home building, and Denver has an extra home game.
0: That's so really got to make a pick. So we're yeah, making a Den- pick. Denver and seven.
1: I love the fact that the analytics nerds got this wrong, and that their analytics darling, the Boston Celtics, are about to get their ass sent back to boston it's beautiful greg this was great thanks for coming on always a great guest and um uh, we'll speak soon
0: yeah absolutely thanks for having me as always and uh go enjoy this game tonight hopefully we get a week off to process what's going to be a really killer finals matchup hope so
1: hope so by the way everybody go follow greg screaming from the sidelines check him on twitter check him on instagram you know what the deal is have a good one bud thanks again Thanks again to recurring guest Greg Silver for coming on. Always a very reliable guest. Good stuff from him as always. That's episode 209 for the love of the game. Take us out, Drizzy, Lil Wayne, and fans. I, oh, I, no, yeah, uh, I, like, I, I don't even know, maybe, where my plug is. And I'm going to be a legend, even with my life. I'ma be a legend even when this night ends I do my thing, I'm about it like them Said I'm him, so I'm in
0: like them I'm going in, I'm going in